Welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Micellis here, joined by Brett and Jordy Micellis. Did you guys see that inflection? It was less... A little pop to the this morning. Podcast. I like that. Little, the you're the song got you going. Podcast. That's not America. Ooh, <laughs> Brett, you just like showing off that you're a good singer. Oh, Brett's that's a not good a, singer. That Brett's a, a good, good, good singer. <laughs> I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but, you know, Brett was in a band called Pristine Cadre. I don't think we ever talked high, about this before. Do we <laughs> never talk? Maybe. So Brett was in a band in high school called Pristine Cadre, P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-C-A-D-R-E. <laughs> Google Brett accordingly. Was also a, Google accordingly. Brett was also a rapper, a one-man band called BAM. B-A-M was Brett's alter ego. A very good, a very good rapper. Brett was underrated. Hilariously good. If you, yeah, I I can't find the videos anymore. Brett, yeah, I scrubbed them. I've, I've, scrubbed, the scrubbed, them. I've scrubbed the internet of everything. And so I did a There's great There's really job. no reason why you should have. I mean, if they were bad videos, I get it. But they were good videos. Brett was a rapper. Brett was a rocker. And Brett is now a <laughs> podcaster going full circle. Who here has seen <laughs> Indict Trump? We had a follow up. Loser Palooza with a very special video. As of the recording, we're at 1.2 million views of our Indict Trump video, which actually uses clips from Loser Palooza, where Donald Trump claims he doesn't know the tax code. That's one of his uh, his new defenses, trying to show that. Should he we play the video thing. right here? Yeah, right play now? the video. Play the video. I know how the tax code works better than anyone. Nobody knows the tax code better than I do. Okay, I know it better. I'm the king of the tax code. I know more formulas. King I know more tax about code. tax abatements. I know more about taxes <laughs> than any human being that God ever created. I knew how to use the tax code to rebuild my company when others didn't have a clue. You'd work very hard to pay the least amount of taxes. Yeah, I, I want to pay the least amount possible. I don't want to pay tax. He didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes me smart. Paid- See, I understand the tax code better than anybody that's <laughs> that ever makes run for president. Smart. Former President Donald Trump's company, along with the organization's longtime chief financial officer, have been indicted on charges which involve tax-related crimes. You used an apartment because you need an apartment because you have to travel too far where your house is. You didn't pay tax. $1.7 million over 16 years. Not much. Or education for your grandchildren. Paid for his grandkids' private school in New York City. My dad did that because he's a good guy. Well, these are employment perks. These are, you know, these are... Um... I don't even know. Do you have to? But does anybody know the answer to that stuff? I know how the tax code works better than anyone. They indict people for that. I am the king of the tax code. The king Does of even the, know tax what the tax code. Who <laughs> talks like that? The king of the tax code. I mean, this man code. is the sickest psychopathic mother ever, ever in the world. Like, this man is a. I, I, every time I hear that, I know why. I made the decision to just basically stop working and just do my <laughs> You can't possibly. I mean, and, and and frankly, I'm surprised. Like I get you, you're listening to this right now. So you're a Midas mighty and I get it. But I don't get how any other human being could listen to that and not be like, I need to either 
start a movement or be part of a movement to get rid of that fucking thing. I mean, could you imagine just being, I mean, look, this is the equivalent. It would be like being in your bed in a mosquito ridden home and the mosquitoes keep fucking biting you in the fucking face. And you're like, you know what? (laughs) I like these mosquito bites all over my fucking face. I'm not going to get up and start slapping the mosquitoes or get some insect repellent. I'm just going to wait until my whole face is mosquito. (laughs) (laughs) That's being... That's being a, a Trump, Trump supporter. supporter and then saying, you know what? Those mosquito bites, they're not actually bites. Those are those are beautiful red marks from God. That's what QAnon told me. That's what those are. I mean, the that's itch what, spots that God ever created. These are that's the biggest are. itch spots on my face. Well, that, ben, that have, have this is picked. why I'm excited to have a true expert on the show today. We've got real experts on real the experts. We got Richard Signorelli. He was a former assistant U.S. attorney at the Southern District of New York at the heart of it all. He has a lot of experience with what prosecutors have done at SDNY, and I think he'll have a lot of insight into what's going on right now with the Manhattan DA and the Attorney General of the State of New York. So I'm excited to have Richard Signorelli on the pod to talk all things Trump org indictments. First, I want to talk about vaccines for a second. The CDC released statistics showing 99.5%, and it's probably even higher because they, they tend to skew a little bit more uh, their data is conservative. I hate just using the word conservative, so I'm trying to find any they other word on the side of caution. Of caution, <laughs> but 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 of the remaining COVID deaths, 99.5 percent of those are from unvaccinated people. The state of Maryland released stats that are probably you know even a a bit more accurate, which is a hundred percent of COVID-19 deaths in that state last month were unvaccinated. 100% COVID deaths in Maryland occurred in people who were unvaccinated, tweedled, tweedled, tweedled D and tweedled dumb, tweeted, tweedled, tweedled. Michael Ritchie, (laughs) communications director of Governor Larry Hogan, who is a normal Republican there. It's hard to put those two words um, together. It's a bit of an oxymoron these days. What I'm seeing more than ever, though, amongst the GQP against their uh, state run, well, the the deep state run, the true deep state, (laughs) which is the GQP's actual fucking deep state run media, is this real coordinated effort as we get healthier they want us to get sicker and they've got all their mouthpieces out there they went from dr seuss they went to you know all of these issues and and, and they've always kind of consistently been anti-vax but now more than ever you have people like Charlie Merck, DeGurk, fuckface, calling it medical apartheid and play that clip of, of, of McGurk. But more than anything else, Tucker, what we are going to do is a massive public relations campaign and make sure students know they are not alone. They don't have to hide in the shadows. All of a sudden they're concerned that if they get the vaccine, they're going to be treated as if there's there's something. I said this earlier, and this is a big statement, but it's almost this apartheid style open air hostage situation like, oh, you can have your freedom back if you get the jab. This is unacceptable. We're going to fight back against it. And that clip by Charlie Kirk is part of, as he had mentioned in the clip, a public relations effort by his group, Turning Points USA, to promote 
anti-vax thought to tell people not to get the vaccine, especially students on college campuses. This is some real twisted shit that we are dealing with right now. You also get Candace Owens, who tweets out, not one person in my family will ever touch the COVID-19 vaccine. That is the decision that we have made unabashedly as a family. Medical freedom is an individual right that should never be infringed upon. And any person who thinks otherwise has no place in our government. She also states, I have always been pro-medical choice and anti the murder of infants. Fuck you, Candace (laughs) Owens. Fuck you, Tucker Carlson. Fuck you, Charlie McGurk de Kirk. We're trying to make our people fucking healthy. There's not a single person out there who is pro the murder of fucking infants, you dumb, stupid fuck. You know how angry that makes me when I read that? And when you see that the deaths that are taking place are essentially 100% people who are unvaccinated, we call it a death cult. This GQP, this QAnonism, this fucking Trumpism for a reason. They want Americans to die in their Fucking dumb idiots. I'm done with these idiots. I didn't realize I can, we got Michael Rappaport on the show. Oh, today. right. Ooh. Oh, wait. No, that's just Ben. That's just brother Ben on the show. Just Fox tearing News, it up. Tearing it up. Fox News has become the anti-vax network. They have skewed so far into conspiracy land that they don't even resemble reality in any way. And here was Tucker Carlson's justification the other day for his anti-vax rhetoric. He put up a chart that said the average life expectancy of a person is 73 years old and that the median age of COVID deaths right now is 80. Basically saying, okay, old people, Get it and die. You've lived long enough anyway. You've lived uh, longer than the life expectancy for the average American. So fucking die. That's what that's what Tucker is right now telling his viewers, many of which I will guarantee you are above 73 years old. It's just a really twisted thing coming from the party who likes to consider themselves pro-life. They are an actual pro-death party. I bet that all these fuckers are actually vaccinated. I bet they don't fucking practice what they preach because what they preach is just lunacy and death cult shit. I could almost guarantee that these idiots are vaccinated. They're flying all across the country, going to all these different uh, meetups and stuff like that. They're definitely vaccinated. They're just preaching to a demented choir. Tucker definitely is. Tucker was asked by a journalist if he was vaccinated I forget who the journalist was. And instead of answering the question, Tucker emailed back a response, something to the effect of, you tell me what position is your wife's favorite, and I'll tell you if I got the vaccination. So that's the mind of Tucker Carlson. That's, that's, that's where we're at right now with the highest rated Fox News cable host. I'll tell you. So I was at an event the other day, and some believers in GQPism wanted to have an argument with me over, you know, over issues. So they come over to me where I'm, you know, where I'm standing and they start going into like their logic. And when I tell you, I legitimately had no clue what the logical connections are so strange. I genuinely thought I was speaking to like a crazy person. They were saying, here's the issue. Uncle Sam is, I'm I'm not making this up right now. Uncle Sam is daddy. Uncle Sam is all of our daddies. And so the libs have daddy issues with Uncle Sam and it all stems from daddy issues. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, 
the fuck are we talking? And and and, and that's being connected to to vaxing because Uncle Sam is dad and you have bad relationships. You can't stand up to dad. I had no clue what in the world the conversation conversation was going, but they're living in this odd bubble death cult where they may as well have been speaking like gibberish to me and I would have gotten the same amount of data from them. I'm like, I don't know what to say to you. Like, this is the craziest. It's also more projection from them. I mean, I've always said that the Republicans are the party of daddy issues right now, stemming from their their leader, Trump, who is Mr. Daddy Issues, whose whole life revolves and is devastating the world because of his own daddy issues. And they all just bow down to this man because of their own daddy issues. So if they want to speak about that, they should look inwards first. Absolutely. And speaking, uh, by the way, get vaccinated, okay? The vaccine works everyone who there's a reason that america is reopening and if we had these stupid idiot tucker carlson candace owens that's core trumpism right there if they were in charge if that trumpism crew was running it now and we've said this on other podcasts we would have two million deaths we would be the biggest fucking crisis shit show in the world. Schools wouldn't be open. None of your none of you'd be going on vacations. None of you would be doing anything. We you'd, you may not even be alive right now. And so, I mean, the fact that they're and, and the numbers are always the same. It's like that 30 percent number because, you know, you saw Biden's goal of getting the vaccinated crew. We're in the mid to high 60s of fully vaccinated, yet you always have that 30% death cult who genuinely doesn't care about life. And I got some data for you here. Yale University released a study that said the U.S. vaccine rollout saved nearly 300,000 lives. Think about that. We would be somewhere near 1 million COVID deaths if not for President Biden's vaccine rollout. That's serious. Those are family members. That's people you know. That could be your brother, your sister, your dad, your mom, your kids, your cousin. Lives saved because of competence in the White House. And you have 30% of the population and the media who puts them under their spell who are touting efforts to derail the effort to vaccinate Americans. And that's why as much as I love the vaxxed and relaxed and the vaxxed AF gear that we have in the Midas Touch Store for aesthetic reasons and the fact that it's great stuff, I love that it's so popular and that people are promoting getting vaccinated. And that's become the cool thing to do. I want everybody to feel left out if they're not vaccinated. I want them to have that feeling of, of FOMO, that feel, fear of missing out. And so please keep wearing your vaxxed and relaxed gear. We just put this vaxxed AF gear in the store. We have new masks. We have new koozies. We have a bit of it all. So go and check it out and just try to have these conversations with your friends, especially those who might be vaccine hesitant. Try to convince them to get vaccinated because that's how we get life back to normal. And that's how we make it so these variants, the Delta variant, the Lambda variant. That's how we make it so these are irrelevant to us by getting vaccinated. 
Speaking of Tucker Carlson and his NSA saga, we've talked about this on past Midas Touch podcast. Tucker Carlson was claiming that the NSA was spying on him. That's the GQP basically go to when they start uh, engaging in conspiracies with our foreign adversaries. They then attack our national security apparatus. I Trump just want to say it. I called it. I called it. I called it. I called it. What did I say in the last website? I said, something's going to be coming out. I said, the only way the story is even semi-accurate is if Tucker was dealing directly with foreign agents who were under surveillance, or if he has a bombshell story that's coming out and he has something to hide. And less than one week later, we find out that Tucker Carlson was talking to Kremlin intermediaries to try to set up an interview with Vladimir Putin. Nothing wrong with trying to set up an interview with with Vladimir Putin, but he was clearly speaking with people who were under oversight by the NSA. And uh, I wonder also what Tucker was saying to this. What is he so afraid of that were in these emails that he felt the need to get out in front of it and start making a fuss and saying, these emails are going to be leaked and they're trying to take my show down and all this bad stuff's about to happen. Well, what, were, what do you think he was saying to the Kremlin here? Well, Brett, I think that I disagree with you. I think that there is something wrong with Tucker I was going to say, there's nothing wrong with, with trying to yeah, set up an interview I, with Putin? Go, Jordy. Tell, explain uh, it to Brother Brett. I'm just a little bit confused by that. Why? Why? Why should, <laughs> any, why should, why should anybody just be okay with interviewing one of MSN, the world's like, biggest MSNBC literally, ever? MSNBC literally interviewed Putin like like three weeks ago. Uh, Chris Wallace won an Emmy for interviewing Putin in 2018. It's common for U.S. journalists to interview Vladimir Putin. That's not out Jordy, of the realm of normalcy. Jordy, it happens Jordy, all the Jordy, time. Jordy, ben, Jordy, ben, finish Jordy, this. Jordy. Finish this. Oh, Brett, it's a uh, it's uh, Tucker Carlson, Brett. <laughs> I know he's not a real he's not a real journalist. I, That's the I, problem. I'm very there aware. Itself. But yeah. let's not act like journalists throughout history have not interviewed dictators and despots. I mean, Jordy, it, it happens Jordy, quite Jordy, frequently. Jordan, 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 Jordan. Did I say? You want to finish? Yeah, Jordan. Did I say that no journalist should be able no, to that's, interview? That's Biden not what you said. That's not, that's not what we said. That's not what I said either. Uh, mm. Let's roll roll back the tape, Jordy. Jordy, we should roll back the tape. I mean, I guess listen it. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Tucker. There's literally nothing wrong with Tucker Carlson interviewing uh, Vladimir Putin. By there's Brett's nothing really wrong sad. with a member of the media oh, reaching Brett, out. I don't want to get Brett upset. Yeah, so yeah, don't, upset. don't get Brett upset. He's got to edit the rest of this. This is yeah. so. I mean, it, it happens all the time. <laughs> Chris Wallace won an Emmy for it in 2018. I don't know how you could. Act oh like my God, he's crying live. Oh, he's no. crying. The Midas Mighty will decide if there's anything yeah. wrong with Tucker Carlson reaching out to Vladimir Putin. Yeah. But anyway, Jordy and I think that it's problematic that Tucker Carlson, who's spewed pro-Putin propaganda, who's given the anti-vax messages that are consistent with Putin and the white supremacy message, this concept that we talked about in the last podcast about how Fox News and Russia were basically combining to promote Moscow as the quote-unquote anti-woke capital. And so it's obviously very problematic that Vladimir Putin in general, right now at this specific moment in time, while he's attacking vaccines and while he's going after uh, you know, d- Democrats and spewing Russian talking points that he's wants to elevate Putin in this moment. But Brett, you are right, though, from your prediction and last Tucker did have something to hide. And I think this is just the beginning 
of the Tucker motherfucker story here. But Tucker's going to have his comeuppance. If, if you're out there and you're getting frustrated, look, we can't just be complacent, though, and hope on its own that, you know, people are going to be held accountable. We need to put pressure and make those things a reality. But Tucker's going to be held accountable. He really is. You don't get to go through life and be such a traitor and get away with it. I'll tell you at the end of the day, Tucker does not go to sleep at night easy. I could tell you that if that makes you a bit happier. Tucker knows that being a traitor to the United States of America will catch up to him, as it has for many in Trump's inner circle. We've talked about in the past the trials and tribulations are mostly the tribulations of Rudy Giuliani. I loved this story, Brett, that Giuliani was trying to raise $5 million for his legal defense fund, and he's raised a whopping $9.5,000 a year. <laughs> Wait, $9,000? What the What's the goal? The goal was five million dollars. Ninety-five. That's the big thing, though. He's trying to crowdfund the efforts for his what they're calling the Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund. What's up with these like super prestigious lawyers or or the supposed super prestigious people of of wealth and stature trying to crowdfund for these efforts on on their own personal behalf? Well, this is all because Trump. He thought Trump was going to be paying his legal defense fund, right? And then Trump was like, "I ain't paying for Rudy." <laughs> he got fucked over by Trump, and so now he's got to grift off people for donations for his legal defense fund. Rudy and literally up. Yeah, Rudy literally farted on people's faces for Donald Trump <laughs> in fake hearings that they made up to soothe Trump's ego when no actual court would hear. Donald Trump's bullshit lawsuits and would dismiss it. It was really I mean, it's beyond fucked up. But like, I think I was joking when I was saying, you know, because they've lost like 75 cases, what I would do if I was super fucking crazy is I would just, you know, and I'm thinking, thinking like, like, what would be the dumbest fucking thing to do? I go, you know what, maybe just create my own fake uh, court. <laughs> that's not even a real court and then argue to that court and then have that court say you win. Don't you give him ideas, Ben. Don't give him ideas. Well, they did that. That's what they did. That's what Giuliani did when he was farting on all of his associates and he was make it. He did. And he made the arguments to literally fake court to fake courts. And look, he did it at the fake four, you know, the, uh, the fake four seasons, you know, they did it in the fake and it looked all stupid, oh but this God. is actually what goes on in other countries that are despotic. They go, you know what? We're not going to do real courts. We're not going to do real legislatures. What we're actually going to do is we're going to create our own fake ones. And we're going to basically say that's justice right there. And so we're lucky that we avoided that period, but I am glad. I think Rudy just has 4,000, Nine hundred ninety nine ninety thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars to go before he hits four, his four, so close, four, so close. Four thousand. We're not very good at math here on the Marcellus family, as our listeners well know. But Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, their relationship at this point is so strained and so bizarre. Outward facing, they have to still pretend to like each other when in reality these two people fucking hate each other. Think about it, Trump's not paying 
any of supposedly he's not paying any of the money that Giuliani's owed. He's let him out there to dry. And not only that, the kids apparently aren't even speaking to, to the other Giuliani, the, the doofus son. There's a huge rift amongst the families inward and privately, but they can't they can't speak on it publicly. They have to pretend to like each other. How poetic is that? It's one big circus. It's one big carnival. Rudy Giuliani's son is polling at zero percent in a New York governor straw poll. Zero percent. I think there's a quote, Brett, from me where when he floated that he was running and this was like nine months ago where I was like, I do hope you run so that you literally can see that you may only get like three votes. (laughs) It's pretty impressive to be the son of a previously respected New York prosecutor and mayor and to poll at zero percent because your dad's legacy has went to such shit and because you are so incompetent and inexperienced and a joke. And Ben, you've been calling this now for a long time, but... On the thought of Trump not paying Rudy's bills, I think it's becoming increasingly clear by the day that Donald Trump is broke. Yes, he is mentally broke. Yes, he is morally broke. But financially, I think Donald Trump is completely broke and heading for bankruptcy. And I think that's what a lot of these things, a lot of these rallies, all these sort of press events and things that he's trying to hold. I think it's all to try to get money. And the most recent example of this is Trump announced that he will be filing a lawsuit against Facebook, Google, and Twitter for banning him from their platforms after after inciting the insurrection on January 6th. And Ben, I know you and uh, Popak are going to dig deep into this lawsuit on Sunday's legal AF. But first, I wanted to ask you, was this lawsuit actually even filed or did he just put it to paper and release it to the public as a fundraising gimmick? Is this actually something that was filed to the state or, or to wherever you file these things? <laughs> well, a, a, a few things. Number one, for all of the Popakians and Popakists out there, Michael Popak will be taking a vacation this weekend. So I will like that allowed in the contract. What? I I want to say that I am a big proponent of vacations. I'm a big proponent of work breaks. I'm a big proponent of all of workers rights, except when it comes to Midas touch. And in which case, Popak, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. Uh, Popak is absolutely allowed to take uh, a vacation. Um, I've given him consent to go and take a vacation. He's asked for approval. Um, no, he didn't. Uh, he just told me I'm going on a vacation (laughs) and I said, okay, um, I have no ability to stop you from doing that, such a thing. So, um, regarding was this, uh, case actually filed? Wait, so are you guys uh, going to do, are you going to do the podcast solo? I'm not sure. I, I, I have potential. I'll do it with you. I mean, you have to be, you have to know the law to do it with me, but. Okay, you could do it with me. You could do the legal. Let's go. Podcast. <laughs> Let's go. Jordy is in. So regarding this uh, case, Brett, yes, it was actually filed. It was filed in a federal court in Florida. Um, that whole Popak thing right there was me stalling to determine which court it was filed. In. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> impressive moves. Six success. So it was actually filed. And I wasn't sure which federal court he filed in it, but he filed it in Florida. And, you know, now refreshing my recollection, he filed it there too uh, to try to get a judge who may lean, hoping to probably get a judge he appointed or get a judge that leans in his way. But he's basically calling Facebook, Twitter, the government. And that's the basis of it. You know, the, the underlying issues is, is that they, as private companies, have, can have terms of service and using your platform to lead an insurrection violates the terms of service. Actually, as speakers, Facebook and Twitter, you know, and any kind of private platform can limit the type of speech on their platform to the extent, you know, that speech is causing harm and violence. The Constitution? is not the terms of service for Twitter. Exactly. Yet the complaint essentially alleges that they are that there's no distinction between the United States government, Facebook and Twitter. So this would mean though that Trump was president at the time. So this would mean that he's saying that Facebook, Twitter and Google were state actors of his own government. It's beyond bizarre with the allegations. <laughs> George, you know, George, Con- George Conway said that uh, in response, Facebook and Twitter should file what's called Rule 11 sanctions, which is for filing a completely frivolous lawsuit, which is what I believe they will do. They will seek Rule 11 sanctions. This case is going to be dismissed. This case is not a real case. And as Brett mentioned, it is being used as a fundraising device by Trump to further grift and and try to raise more money. And all of that money basically goes right into Trump's uh, pocket when you actually read the fine print about where that money's going. And yes, as we've mentioned, Trump isn't really liquid. Trump's money is based on relationships with lenders. He can't find new lenders. And Trump's entire business model, as we talked about in the last, was a Ponzi scheme, was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. One lender, next lender, next lender, next lender, and trying to repay and basically threaten the previous lender the same way he threatened and held our nation hostage. You see, he's good at holding people hostage. That's what he would do with his lenders. And now no one wants to lend to him. And so his Ponzi scheme has just about run out. And I think, as I predicted, we'll be seeing bankruptcies in the Trump organization in the next 18 months. To talk more about the legal troubles and tribulations of Trump, the Trump organization, the Trump family, and Giuliani. We will be bringing in Richard Signorelli, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, right after these messages. What's up, Midas Mighty? Ben Micellis here, joined by my younger brothers, Brett and Jordy Micellis. Have you got your Midas merch gear? If you haven't gotten your Midas merch gear, I don't know what's taking you so long. I got my gear. Most of the Midas Mighty got their gear. We have some incredible stuff. Isn't that right, Brett? 
That's right. And with the new CDC guidelines that say you no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors if you've been vaccinated, a lot of people have been asking us, how do you let people know you've been vaccinated? How do you know if you're around other vaccinated people? A lot of people are concerned. But, you know, we already thought about this, guys. We got our Vaxxed and Relaxed merch line. You could get it now if you still want to wear masks, if you still feel comfortable wearing masks around indoors or outdoors. We got the masks. We got the tees. We got the shirts. We got it all. And we got more on the way. So let people know you've been vaccinated. Shop at store.midastouch.com to get yours. And that's not all we have. We got the Club Democracy gear. We got the shout out to the Midas Mighty gear. We got it all. Go check it out. That's store.midastouch.com. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Richard Signorelli. Richard was a former assistant U.S. attorney at the Southern District of New York. He's now in private practice, does both civil and criminal, Richard. That's right. I do both. I do both, too, which is which is kind of rare in these day and age to kind of have that joint practice. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Thank you for having me. See, Richard, whenever we have attorneys on the show, it gives Ben an opportunity to go right away to announce to the world, hey, I'm an attorney. I'm gonna, he's got to plug that in every single time as the old Every brother, episode, so. he brings it up, rubs it in our faces. All right. I mean, I think one. ultimately one of the reasons you're here, Richard, as much as we like you <laughs> as a person, is we want to get some of your legal insight. So I find it funny that the brother's first thing is for me to attack your <laughs> incisive legal insight. So... Let's cast that aside, Richard, and let's, I guess, <laughs> I guess this is what the brothers are looking for, Richard. Richard, you've been a Midas Touch supporter from day one, um, and we want to thank you for that. Um, what kind of drew you? I'm, I'm doing Brett and Jordy's questions here. They want to throw you the softballs, Richard. No, I was what, just, what I was just you, saying how you made uh, it about yourself. What, what drew hey, you Richard, to Midas I'm Touch, attorney Richard? Too. Look at all my legal expertise. <laughs> Richard, right, what drew you to Midas it. Touch? I, I, I actually remember what happened. My friend George Conway retweeted your video, and this is in the earliest days, probably March of 2020, and we're all dealing with the pandemic. And I saw this video. I thought it was amazing. George thought it was amazing. I was fairly new to Twitter at that point, just a few months into my, for my first tweet. Uh, I just joined in 2019 for reasons that are common to all of us, I think, uh, because of what was going on uh, with Trump and the GOP and everything else, or the GQP. And I immediately followed you. And, you know, it was like, and it's, and I've followed your success ever since. And I think you and a few of the other uh, organizations out there are playing a very critical role because you're getting out there, you're cutting edge. And I remember tweeting this, you know, after you did a few of these videos. And I, you know, I said you were like Alpine mountaineers. You went up the mountain. <laughs> quickly, efficiently, and you didn't waste any time reacting to current events, which I thought was amazing using your technical skills and extremely effective. Thanks, Richard. And one of the things that was difficult to me, as my brothers will tease me, you know, as a lawyer, um, was sharing my (laughs) political views online. You know, and I, I dabbled in talking about my cases Every now and then, you know, over the past, you know, decade or so. So it wasn't like I didn't use Twitter, but I didn't really share. 
how I how I felt. And I know as a lawyer with your background, too, and in a little bit, I want to talk about SDNY and what that means because our listeners hear that. But I don't fully I'm not sure if they fully understand, like, just how prestigious uh, the SDNY was. But like, what was that final last straw for you to say, you know what, I got to get my message on social media and truly not just share my legal analysis, but share where I stand politically and ideologically. When did that decision happen? I think it developed over time. I think it was, I was never a Trump supporter. Uh, I always knew how dangerous he was, but I didn't realize the extent of it until during the election when he made all these terrible statements about a judge hearing his case, which I thought was unseemly. Uh, the racist comments and coming down the escalator at Trump Tower at the beginning of his campaign. I knew how bad he was even before all that. And it just got worse and worse. And so it developed over time. But like you, I'm out there. I don't hold back. I'm going to speak my mind. Uh, I try to do it in the right way. But what anyone who reads my tweets gets is my true feelings. I also try to apply some of my experiences, which are unique to many of the people who follow me on Twitter, and try to give them sort of what it's like to be in the room, for example, with a defendant who's thinking about cooperating or doesn't want to cooperate, but maybe should cooperate. Or what's it like to be in the room where prosecutors are trying to figure out what the hell do we do here? and the pros and cons of proceeding or not proceeding. And I want to share with, you know, the, the followers, uh, anyone on Twitter, some of my experiences as they apply to these very real current events that we're experiencing. And I will say this to the three of you and to everyone else, something you already know, how historic this time is and how weird and how different it is from prior periods of time. And we are in a perilous situation. And this is why I'm out there. Probably the same reason you guys are out there because we want to try to protect the country, protect our democratic institutions from real harm that's being done. And it's probably the same reason George got heavily involved at tremendous personal sacrifice. My other friend, Anthony Scaramucci also a little more belatedly, but he came through, uh, also heavily involved, and, and so many others, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, if not several million people getting involved and speaking their mind about these events. You know, there are a lot of Twitter lawyers out there. Often they don't actually have law degrees and they think there are lawyers, <laughs> but there are very few like good lawyers on Twitter who know their stuff who have that experience and share it. And obviously you fall into the latter category, which is why I love your tweets and your insights so much. And in your profile, it talks about how you were a former assistant U.S. attorney for SDNY or the Southern District of New York. What, what years were you there? And can you just explain to our listeners kind of briefly what that means when, you know, being a part of, of, of SDNY? And I'll, I'll just lead for this, and I'll kind of steal some of which, which you may say, because you're probably too humble to, to say. The SDNY is known as being one of like the most kind of prominent 
uh, legal strike forces out there as a prosecutorial arm on the federal side, prosecuting some of the most high profile, serious crimes for some of the biggest mafia prosecutions to Wall Street crimes. And SDNY is the gold standard. I know I just answered part of the question for you, but I wanted to let people know how much I look up to SDNY lawyers. But what, what years were you there and what was that experience like? There in the late 80s, uh, or early 90s, I worked for two, the two successors to Rudy Giuliani. I just missed working for him. Uh, and uh, the attorney, I worked under two attorney generals, Dick Thornburg, whose name is on my attorney general certificate, which all of us get as AUSAs, and then William Barr uh, during his first stint then took over from Dick Thornburg when, when uh, uh, Dick Thornburg ran for governor. And so it was a terrific experience. It's difficult to get. It is true. Um, there's a, a fairly involved interviewing procedure and it's competitive. It's an, it was an honor to work there. Uh, uh, for the most part, everyone there is very smart, honest, uh, and dedicated. And so it was, a, it was a terrific experience, which I've taken to this day in the practice of law. Uh, in, in what I do. And, and now with the events that we're dealing with, applying some of these experiences to what we're all witnessing in real time uh, that's going on here. What's so wild, and, and you mentioned it, and you didn't, you weren't there at the same time, Rudy, he had just left to run for mayor um, of New York at that, at that time. But Rudy was the head of SDNY. He was the United States attorney for the Southern District of New York who oversaw that entire prestigious department. When you see now being a, a prominent New York attorney, you know, having, you know, obviously seeing what we witnessed, the downfall of Rudy, but having his bar license suspended. And now we know the Court of Appeals suspended his ability to practice there as well. What what in the world happened to Rudy? Rudy lost his way. Um, to, to put it very bluntly, uh, we don't know exactly what happened to him. Uh, reportedly, he's been drinking a lot. Uh, Michael Cohen has remarked on that, I believe. My theory is he got corrupted by the, the good life, flying first class, private airplanes, having multiple homes, living high on the hog, having huge personal expenses for which he had to generate a lot of income. And I think that can corrupt even really good people. Now, Rudy always had his flaws, even back in the day when he was a hero U.S. attorney. He would he invent almost invented the federal perp walk where the insider traders that he would take in, some of whom were acquitted later or had the charges dismissed. They were paraded in front of the cameras. And the only reason the cameras were there is because Rudy called them and had these people walked out of their offices or their homes in handcuffs in full view of everyone. Rudy was always ambitious. He probably always had in mind running for office. These are character flaws because the best U.S. attorneys, and Preet Bharara is one of those. Uh, Mary Jo White is another one. Uh, and, and Otto Obermeyer and Benito Romano, the two I worked for, they never sought press for, for its own sake. There's a reason to do the press conferences to send a message to the public, general deterrence, individual deterrence, but they never did it to further their own self-interest. And so Rudy had some flaws back then. What's happened now is unbelievable. He's destroyed himself 
on behalf of a madman, Donald Trump. And there's just no rational explanation. Just so wild, you know, you talk about the perp walk he invented for the white collar criminals. You know, I, I just make this passing observation for our listeners out there. You know, I just finished the book, Den of Thieves, which highlights that time period. Um, one of the people who did the perp walk was, was Mike Milken, um, who then Rudy helped get pardoned in the, in the Trump administration after going after him there. And so after all those efforts in the 80s to kind of see it go full circle and just to see Rudy's morality bend so easily was just such a strange observation. And that book was written in the early 90s. And so the way it spoke about Rudy in glowing terms for some of his prosecutorial successes, you read the book and you go, it's like a different human being. True. And what a small world we in. You know, Jim Comey worked for Rudy, was one of Rudy's, you know, top prosecutors. And Rudy turned on him publicly. And, you know, it's just what a small world. But Rudy has truly gone off the deep end. I think he realizes it. And I think he's going to be destroyed financially, and he may be indicted uh, at some point later this year. Uh, I am predicting that. It's just a spec, uh, you know, informed speculation, but he's truly destroyed himself, and for bad reasons. The key word there I'd highlight for our listeners was informed speculation. Of course, we flew the loser Palooza plane over Sarasota, where Donald Trump was basically continuously incriminating himself um, regarding these tax fraud charges out of the Manhattan uh, DA's office. And yesterday, Midas Touch released the video, Indict Trump, which we saw you retweeted and commented on. You know, when you look back at all of the things Trump said, it's somewhat of a, of a prosecutor's dream, is it not? When you go back and look at these records and he says, I know the tax code better than anybody. Uh, and then uh, now him and his family basically, well, who knows the tax code? Who, who, nobody knows the tax code. Uh, is, he, he's, he's in big trouble, right? The thing to understand about Trump, among all of his other many character flaws, is he's a moron. And so here he is bragging about his knowledge of the tax code and everything else for that matter. He's a genius at everything, according to him. But he made numerous statements about the tax code and how good he is at taxes and avoiding taxes and how knowledgeable. What he did at the event uh, for which Midas Touch played a prominent role, I was pleased to see, is he tried to stupidly cut back on that with what I would call a false exculpatory statement. I, I don't know what this means. Does anyone know whether this is tax evasion? And... It's not going to work. It's actually an additional admissible piece of evidence. Very common. A lot of people don't understand what a false exculpatory is. We're not lawyers in the criminal area. But a false exculpatory is admissible evidence where the defendant is falsely claiming his innocence when clearly it's not a true statement. And the jury gets to hear that uh, for the most part. So he's a moron. He's trying his best to cut back. He's been told by his lawyers that there is, you know, the government has to prove intent to violate the tax laws. It's true. It's not an impossible burden. And 
you know, you've got books and records which are overwhelming, provide overwhelming evidence. And there's going to have to be a little bit more evidence than that in the form of an insider, perhaps to seal the deal. But I think it's going to be there. And I think Donald Trump knows it. I'd love to get inside your head, Richard, as far as what's going on right now with Weisselberg. We obviously saw that Weisselberg was part of the indictments that were dropped the other day. What do you think is going through Weisselberg's head? Do you think that they'll get him to flip on Trump? Is it necessary for Weisselberg to flip on Trump? Will they have evidence otherwise? Let me address those in turn. Uh, This is a big debate raging on Twitter, as you guys know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've taken the position that I believe he's going to cooperate eventually. And I've actually stated 10 main reasons for that on Twitter. Um, I believe he's going to cooperate because he's got really good lawyers who are going to advise him in detail that's in his interest to cooperate. It's not going to be easy for him to cooperate. That's why there's this debate, because there's lots of reasons in Weisselberg's own head not to cooperate. He's got loyalty to the family, to to the Trump family. He's basically would be admitting that his whole career was a lie, a dishonest scheme. He would have to turn state's evidence. He would have to give up a lot of his ill-gotten proceeds. He would have to admit that he is a felon. He would have to do a lot of things that a lot of people have a lot of difficulty doing. Right. Owning up to really serious criminal mistakes. That being said, this is something a lot of people are missing who are not have not had direct experience with this, either as a defendant or as an attorney. This is not an all or nothing black or white situation. Do I cooperate or don't I cooperate? There are no easy answers for Weisselberg. What I really think it comes down to is risk. How risk adverse is this accountant, is this bookkeeper, this glorified bookkeeper to throw the dice, plead guilty without cooperation, and hopefully throw yourself on the mercy of the the court, knowing the court could sentence you to years in prison, even on a guilty plea with no cooperation. And some defendants, but not many, are willing to roll the dice. At his age, with his family, I don't think he is, because I think it's too risky. And I think his lawyers, who I know personally and respect a great deal, They're honest, extremely competent, and very experienced. Mary Mulligan is from the SDNY. Brian Scarlatis is a tax expert of the highest renown. I think they're giving him the advice that he needs. He doesn't have to follow it. Mm -hmm. Attorneys are obligated in criminal cases to give the defendant specific advice. What do you do and why should you do it? It's the defendant's job to make the decision. Almost always a defendant will follow capable attorney's advice, 95% plus. That's why I think he's going to cooperate. I'm in good company, by the way. Michael Cohen, Barbara Rez, both who know Weisselberg directly, personally, and professionally, believe he's going to cooperate. However, on the other side, we have George Conway, Dan Goldman, who think he's, he's not going to cooperate. We don't know. I think I've got the better argument I think it's in his interest to cooperate because this is what's going to happen if he cooperates. He's going to get a letter, a recommendation from the DA to the sentencing judge. If I had to uh, give a sort of an informed speculation that he should receive a five-year term of probation. And that's a very important. The judge doesn't have to follow it, 
but the judge will probably follow it if Weisselberg turns state's evidence completely, truthfully, and doesn't leave anything out and, and is always forthright. And there will be financial penalties he'll have to experience, which will be significant. But it's nothing compared to a state prison sentence. This is the other thing people don't understand who have not had direct experience with um, a New York state criminal law. If you get a sentence of two years plus, you're not going to be in county lockup, which is unpleasant, by the way. You're going upstate. You're going to be transported to a temporary facility north of the city, treated horribly, treated like every other prisoner. And then you're going to go to some upstate prison where you're going to be separated from your family and your friends and the life you once knew. It is horrible. It's especially horrible. It's horrible for everyone, but it's really horrible for someone of his age and his background. He's not a street criminal. He hasn't experienced these any incarceration in his entire life. I think Barbara Rez has put this well, that he's not hardened like a Paul Manafort is. And Paul Manafort's not that hardened, but he's hardened enough that he took the two years knowing that Donald Trump would probably give him a pardon. And I think Weisselberg's got to get over his denial. He's got to get over this ridiculous loyalty to this vile, allegedly criminal Trump family, if I may put it that way. And he's got to get over these things. And I think he's going to be relieved, frankly, because he's going to be working with honorable prosecutors. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have his attorneys at his side, helping him, advising him, protecting him. And I think he's going to be relieved. I'm going to mention two other factors, if I may, that I think are really integral to his decision. Number one, his family. His wife is implicated in tax evasion with the cars, with the apartment. And she knows full well, probably, that he wasn't paying taxes on that. She could be indicted. And she's not going to have the innocent spouse defense. Number two, at least one of his sons is implicated in the running those rinks, uh, the ice skating rinks in Central Park. Uh, he's named there as getting free apartments. And uh, hell hath no fury, greater fury than a woman scorned. His former wife has turned state's evidence against him and has turned over all their records. This is dangerous for him. Let me give you the one other factor that's not been emphasized enough. The possibility of federal charges. If he cooperates, he can work out a global deal, presumably, with both the feds and the state. He'll have to plead guilty to all these charges. It'll be set forth in a cooperation agreement. But he'll get some peace. If he either goes to trial, which I think is unlikely, or just pleads guilty, it is likely that he will be indicted for federal tax evasion. In fact, the DA is almost begging the feds to get involved by what something they did that was very brilliant in the indictment. They charged, which I have never seen before, which I mm -hmm. think fits perfectly. They charged Weisselberg with grand larceny for stealing for federal tax evasion. It's such a unique, well-taken charge based on the evidence. And Weisselberg has to fear that, not only because of the state prosecution of possibilities, significant jail time. There's a lot of money involved here, but also the feds will get involved. And then he's faced deal with these charges in federal court, serious penalties under the sentencing guidelines, 
And we're talking more than two plus years. We're talking, you know, several years or more in prison, in a federal prison on top of the state charges. You put all these factors together along with many others that I've written about. I believe it's likely he's going to cooperate, but I can't say that for sure because there's one other thing. He could be irrational. If he has a speck of rationality, he will cooperate. He will turn state's evidence. He'll be relieved. He'll save himself and his family from prison. But if he doesn't have that, then he's going to have to face the consequences. Well, the thing that we have to realize here is that this is a different ball game than when Trump was president. And this is a different ball game than if Trump was president and these were federal charges. You don't have Trump kind of dangling that pardon at the end of the four years anymore. That can't happen. But what I am curious is why does it feel like this is all right now on Tish James and Cy Vance? When is the SDNY going to step in? When is when are the feds going to step in here? Will they like why, why? Why is it so up to the state of New York right now to to hold them accountable? Terrific question. I, I, I don't have a firm answer as to what's going on. There are there are several theories in play. The first theory, which I hope is not true, is that Garland wants to move forward and and walk away from Trump related federal prosecutions. That would be a big, big mistake. Agreed. He and Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general, will go, will go down in history as being failures, betraying our country. The second theory is they're planning a huge federal case. That's very possible. It may be include the Stormy Daniels stuff, federal tax evasion. There's so many crimes that, you know, Trump can be accused of, um, uh, you know, pardon fraud, COVID pandemic fraud. Uh, who knows? It's just, it's endless with Trump and his family. So that's, that's the second theory. They might be just waiting and biding their time to see what happens with the state. But I think it's a mistake for them to wait too much longer. I know some of these cases are complicated, but Mueller already fully investigated the obstruction of justice. The Stormy Daniels payoff, which I have spoken about before, Uh, has been fully investigated. I mean, for God's sake, Michael Cohen largely got his three-year sentence because of Stormy Daniels. Yeah, they tacked on a few other things and, you know, played heavy-handed with him to get that plea. But the guy who funded it, the guy who benefited from it, has not been charged yet. How does that make any sense? And I know for a fact both Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels want to cooperate. And I've made no secret that I'm disappointed in my former office in not pursuing these, these charges, which I think they should now because Trump is continuing to harm our country. I mean, just look what's happening with the GOP state legislators, what they're doing to suppress the vote. They're being inspired by this man. And I think it's very dangerous to wait longer than is absolutely necessary to hold him accountable Garland is an institutionalist. If he or his advisors or aides are listening, I will say part of being an institutionalist is making sure that no man is above the law, that all crimes are fully accountable for and prosecuted, especially continuing crimes against our country. There is no person more dangerous to this country in so many different important respects than Donald Trump. He should have the biggest target on his back because of the harm he's doing to his, this country. As we speak, he's doing harm. He has not just disappeared 
from the public scene. And so these are good reasons for the feds to exercise their prosecutorial discretion to pursue federal prosecution. He's committed federal crimes. He should be investigated and prosecuted for federal crimes. And now like their father, Richard, you know, you see Don Jr. You see Eric Trump going on Newsmax and Fox News, basically admitting to Weisselberg's crimes. We speculated on the show that they're almost doing this intentionally to play off basically, hey, look, I'm the dumb kid. I don't know what, what's going on here and make it look like, hey, no, the CFO, he should know these sort of things. How much of a disservice are the kids doing going on Fox News, Newsmax, basically admitting to the crimes that Weisselberg is accused of? There are no Einsteins either, to tell you the truth. And, and they're, <laughs> yeah, <thank> they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're making a big mistake because the other thing the DA did and Tish James that they're part of it to this, this, this indictment together. What they did was very brilliant in isolating Weisselberg only. They could have charged other individual defendants and they probably will very soon, but they charged the Trump organization and Weisselberg. They're isolating him. And what the kids are doing is they're emphasizing how isolated Weisselberg is out there. And what Weisselberg needs to know and I think he already does from his lawyers, is the Trump family's best defense is that Weisselberg did it. That's basically what it comes down to. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. You don't even have to be a lawyer, a criminal lawyer, to understand that their best defense is, hey, we relied on Weisselberg. If he committed a crime, we feel badly. Good luck to him when he's in prison. But you know, we're, we're not bookkeepers. We're not accountants. We're not lawyers. And if they're honest with themselves, we're not very bright. So we relied on someone much smarter than, than we were. And, and so he's got to understand they're going to throw him under the proverbial bus. And I guarantee that because if there's one thing we understand about the Trumps is they don't think about anyone but themselves and Donald Trump thinks about no one else but himself. And that probably includes his, even his children and even his favorite among the, the children of Ivanka. Uh, Donald Trump is a sociopath. He's a malignant narcissist. And anyone who doesn't understand that will continue to normalize a madman. And that's what he is. Hmm. And once you realize that, and George realized it very early on, along with the help of a lot of the experts that we see on Twitter, once you realize that, you look at him differently. You look at him for what he really is. I've repeatedly said I make no apologies for comparing him to some of the biggest sociopaths in history, mm -hmm. including, believe it or not, Hitler. Hitler killed many more, but Hitler had a greater opportunity to kill. And by the way, not for nothing, I blame a million actual COVID deaths, not the reported undercount. I blame a million COVID deaths on Trump's dishonesty and his incompetence. And, and I don't think that's an exaggeration if you really get into the weeds of things. So he has resulted, he has killed many, many people. And I don't believe he's done yet if we give him another opportunity or his accolades, his accomplices all of whom are following in his footsteps. So, you know, there's a lot to do here and a lot to fear. And to bring us back really to where we kicked off the interview, you had mentioned this and you're exactly right. You know, whether we like it or not, we are living through a historical piece of, of time right now. 
And I, I say this sometimes and I think about it. It's like, I don't know how they teach Nixon in school these days and expect students to take the curriculum seriously. How do you think they'll teach Trump 50 years from now? What do you think his legacy will be? As I've written, if we do have historians who are allowed to speak 50 years from now, and by the way, if Trumpism takes over, they will not be allowed to speak, just as they're not allowed to speak in Putin's Russia. People need to realize the danger, the, the possibility of that happening. But if we do have historians, and hopefully we will, with all the hard work so many of us are trying to do here, I think they will, I think it'll be mind-boggling. This is not Watergate. Watergate was a very isolated situation. Uh, Nixon, by and large, was a competent president, hardworking, smart. He, he also committed crimes, but they were isolated. This is a far-reaching, dangerous criminal movement that's resulted in the death of so many, and they basically want to destroy our democracy. Nixon believed in our democracy. He resigned. He didn't go through the impeachment process. He, yes, he, he had his media relations. He made some false statements. But when he had to do the right thing for the country, he did. He resigned. And he didn't put through the, the country through even an impeachment, much less two impeachments. And so historians will look at this and they'll have to look at the cult followers. What's going on there? And John Dean has written a terrific book about what makes them tick and the hatred and, the, and how they're susceptible to influence and the disinformation they get from their narrow right-wing uh, television media outlets and how it's distorted how they're thinking because they're not getting any, any other information. Uh, they're not fact-based. And I think historians will be amazed at the lack of truth, the lack of science, the tremendous dishonesty, the lies, and how tens of millions of people have fallen for it. You know, people like Trump, they can come and go every, any day in our lives. People who can hurt us, people who, are make, who make mistakes, people who are criminals, people who don't believe in our country. But they have no power to destroy us unless other people let them. And this is why he's so dangerous, because it's not only his followers. He's got the right-wing media, but then he's got the GQP. And I love the way you guys always call them exactly what they are. This is the GQP, the QAnon party. And what they're doing is stupidly and selfishly thinking that it's better for them to support this madman without understanding the risks. And it's really unfortunate because there were people who spoke up about Nazism and Hitler before and just after he took power as a minority party. He took power legally. And then events took place after that. But there were people speaking up against. They were thugs, just like Trump's supporters are thugs now. But they weren't listened to. And then Germany was uh, completely destroyed. And tens of millions of people many tens of millions of people were destroyed, killed, economies were destroyed, Germany was destroyed. I tweeted this about Tucker Carlson. I'll say this about Laura Ingraham and, and, and Sean Hannity and the rest of those, those people on Fox. They're all multimillionaires. They don't understand the risk if what they're doing supports Trumpism taking over, destroying our democratic system. What happened in post-war Germany 
every single millionaire was decimated by runaway inflation, by the, the, the actual physical destruction of Germany, by the occupation, uh, uh, an appropriate occupation of Germany by the, the victorious uh, ally powers. And they don't understand the risks. How much money is enough for them? How much money is enough for Rupert Murdoch? And, you know, Fox almost made a move away from Trump on January 7th and January 8th and January 9th. They were moving away and then they were losing their viewers. And, and then they went back to him in order to take back the market from Newsmax and, and OAN and, you know, these ridiculous channels. And it's unfortunate. Um, and I think it's misguided because at the end of the day, the risks are huge, not only for all of us, but for them, unfortunately, we're the ones who actually see it. They don't see it yet. And, um, and, and I don't think anything I've said is, ex is an exaggeration. I think it's all valid. Um, and we need to assess the risk the way Weisselberg needs to assess the risk in his case. Yep. Uh, and the risks are there. They're very real, just as the r real risk for Weisselberg doing a, an extended stay in an upstate prison is very, very real. And frankly, we need to be risk adverse to protect our institutions and especially for the younger people, the children, the grandchildren of some of those in power right now need to understand and don't even get me started on the other stuff that's important, like climate change and the environment and everything else. These are all, you know, huge problems for us, but we don't even get there without dealing with this problem. Well, there are definitely big, massive problems, but we applaud you for fighting it, calling it out. There are a lot of members of the bar lawyers out there who go through their days uh, representing, you know, large corporations and getting cases removed from the court system without speaking up to preserve at its core our democracy. You know, I, it it's not easy as a lawyer because you risk isolating business by sometimes being out there and speaking the truth and being an advocate in very public ways. It's just a, just a reality. Um, but I applaud you for doing that. And I think all lawyers should do that, frankly. And, and Richard, just reflecting on, on your story, it was the same time period where it was like, all right, I got to do something. Like if I sit here, I could, I could die. My family can die. My friends can die. People I know can die. Um, it's that stark. And I think people need to understand, as you mentioned, those are not exaggerations that this is a life or death fight and being complacent is not an option. And you personify the fight to bring truth to the people. Richard Signorelli, thank you for supporting Midas Touch and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. We'll be right back after these messages. What's up, Midas Mighty? We've got new merch in the merch store. Brett, tell them about it. New merch line. This is in addition to the hit lines, Club Democracy, Vax and Relax. We now have two amazing new designs in case you haven't seen them yet. We got the It Wasn't Rigged, You're Just a Loser shirt. 
fan favorite. Fan, totally Everyone's a fan favorite. It. I am loving it. And it's just my favorite like graphic to see all the time. It just makes me smile to see that phrase because it is so true. And today we are announcing the Midas Touch for the people line. We got a for the people tea. We got for the people mugs. We got for the people totes. So get yours today at store.midastouch.com and keep sending pictures of you rocking your Midas Touch Pro Democracy gear. We love to see it. Thank you so much for all your support. That's store.midastouch.com. Let's go! Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Signorelli, huh? Let's go! Signorelli, Signorelli. I want to see Richard like on TV all the time. That guy's a real expert. He knows his stuff. What an honor to have him on. And what an honor to have Richard as a longtime fan of Midas Touch. I was looking up the tweet that he was talking about where he called us an alpine-like climbers, all that. You know that he was talking about that in the last segment. So he sent that to us May of 2020 to give you a sense of how long he's been following us and how long he's been a fan of us. Well, the, so tweet, super, he had, the cool. tweet he had referenced too was March, 2020. It must've been when we released, are you better off? It must've been yeah. that very, very He was first there video. literally, literally a day one supporter an honor to have a guy like Richard Signorelli be a supporter of the podcast and to be like you said, Ben, it's not easy for, for public facing attorneys like that all the time to be so honest with their political beliefs. So I'm happy he is taking a stand, especially given his knowledge of SDNY. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? President Biden. President Biden who? President Petty Biden. Play the oh, clip. I don't think that's how knock, knock, knock. In God willing, we're not going to have 40, 40 weeks of uh, this is infrastructure week. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I mean, I think the knock knocks the smoothest transition yet in the Midas Touch podcast. But President Biden means what he says. He's pushing forward an actual infrastructure plan. Um, And brothers, we think we're going to get this infrastructure plan passed and implemented, even if it is a compromise and not the infrastructure plan we all wanted. But but a good infrastructure plan. I think we will get an infrastructure plan passed. I think it will be a compromise bill is, is my opinion on it, um, which I think is necessary. You know, I mean, we're, we're going to have to do that. And do I think Republicans are going to go along with it? I think that is to be determined. I always count on Republicans to do the wrong thing. So I'm not so sure that they're going to come along on this one. But I think whether we get this through via reconciliation or whether we get this through via a normal means with 60 votes, I do think we will get infrastructure passed one way or the other. It is far too important for us to go all this time without updating the roads, the bridges, the buildings, everything we need to have a country in the 21st century. Knock, knock. Who's there? Brother. Ivanka Trump. Ivanka Trump who? Ivanka Trump is probably next on the chopping block, according to formal federal prosecutors. Oh, that was a better one. That was a better. Uh, okay. I, once again, not how knock knock jokes work, but I'm all for the, <laughs> the end. Uh, I'm all for the punchline. Oh, as we know, one of the uh, issues regarding Ivanka <laughs> Trump was her being paid, quote unquote, consulting fees. Um, despite her having been a full-time employee of the Trump organization, big time no-no. There's probably a myriad of other bases as well, um, from uh, you know tax fraud to 
other related things in terms of being a principal of the Trump organization, as we heard from Signorelli. It was a very specific and purposeful decision just to charge Weisselberg for now. But I think we will definitely be seeing an indictment of Ivanka Trump, of 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 Don Jr., of Eric um, in the coming months. I predicted the Don indictment in the November, December time period. I do think Ivanka um, gets indicted shortly before then. That's all the knock-knock jokes I have for you. As Brett mentioned earlier, the Midas Touch merch at store.midastouch.com is flying off the shelves. We put up some masks. We put up some new tees that sold out almost immediately. Um, it was supposed to be a limited drop, but then Brett put on another drop right thereafter. Well, I had to I had to make it not a limited drop because all of our supporters were demanding more merch, and I felt bad because they literally sold out within, like, what was it, Jordy, like 10 minutes? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, and I'll take some of the blame for that. As we know, I'm sort of in charge of the merch round here, and I grossly underestimated the uh, the items to order. So I'm but happy, they- Ben. That Brett ordered this. <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for supporting. And like I said, it's it's more than just, you know, something that looks cool that you could wear around. You're sending a message. And this is a time that we need everybody to hear this message, that everybody should get vaccinated. Listen, guys, America is back. That's why our billboard is still up in Vegas, telling the world that America is back and we need to keep the party going. And we'll close on this note of positivity. So Gallup does a poll where they ask Americans, how's your life doing? Are you thriving? Are you not doing so great? And here were the results of the poll. Under President Biden, Gallup's live evaluation index reached 59.2% in June for people saying that they are currently thriving. Let's go. 59.2%. Now, let me put it in perspective. That is the highest number of people saying they are thriving in over 13 years of ongoing measurement, exceeding the previous high of 57.3% from September 2017. So Americans are feeling very good right now about the future. COVID deaths are down by 90% since President Biden took office. Millions of Americans are fully vaccinated and are going and seeing their families, getting on with their lives. Businesses are reopening and hiring across the country and the projected economic growth is the highest that it's been in this country in the past four decades so please keep getting vaccinated tell everybody to get vaccinated and let's all fight for democracy together every single day this has been brett ben and jordy from midas touch and we are signing off for this episode of the midas touch podcast thanks for listening shout out to the midas mighty 